and welcome to the Redley Frederickcast Patreon edition. It's episode eight of Joshi in the 2010s. I'm your host, JD, joined by Big Egg Joshi Brain. It's Kay. Joshi Brain. <laughs> I like that. It works for me, I guess. <laughs> Sup, man? How's it going? Ah, just, uh, just nice to be introduced by that smooth, wacky jazz of Yoshiko Tamura's Neo theme that started us off. Yeah, yeah, big Neo star. Or, I guess, as big as you're going to get it, Neo. As big as you're going to get. Yes, Yoshiko Tamura. We've seen a lot of her on this 2010s journey. Seems to be one of the, one of the stalwart vets of the scene. We've talked about her numerous times, and we're going to talk about her yet again. <laughs> I mean, shocking, really. Not really. Not really. <laughs> this is part of the Red Leaf Retrocast Patreon. Thank you for joining us on that $1.50 tier. Helps us help support our research, tape trading, and the like. Uh, so we can get a lot of this work done and get the content that we can provide you and basically cover the scene that a lot of people haven't been able to do. So thank you yet again. And if you're joining us two weeks later on the free episode that is released over at the Big Egg Joshi podcast. We also love you because then you're listening and we know you love women's wrestling and the Joshi scene. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much all my podcast is about, so we know you love women's wrestling. <laughs> yes, so today we are freelancing around the scene. It was kind of an idea I floated around. You know, uh, there's some matches uh, that we've kind of missed that uh, are better to cover and not cover the entire card. So a couple of them we were able to find on YouTube, a couple of them we were able to uh, acquire, and then for the rest of 2010, our full, full-ass full shows. So pretty cool, as my, my cat is doing a run-in and attacking me. <laughs> he wants to play. Oh, your, your, your cat you heard Joshiko Tamura and knew you were going to talk about Miko Satomura at some point and was like, I gotta stop this. <laughs> yeah. So this was a this was a fun little little topic to kind of see an overall aspect. These this is kind of a, a fill in episode um, for whether it's a promotion we haven't covered before, uh, maybe a, an, a, an important event that happened in 2010. I think you get the idea here. I think I think we'll we'll do a number of these uh, types of shows in the future because it covers uh, it covers a lot without needing to buy entire DVD sets and the like. Right, it would also be smart because sometimes you get produced shows that have an important match on them, but the rest of the card is pretty forgettable. A lot of the triple tail shows kind of run into that sort of thing sometimes. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. So on this episode, we are heading head heading heading to Sendai Girls for the very first time, and you may be asking yourself, "Well, isn't that a promotion that was big in the 2010s or have been around a while?" Uh you would be correct that it is, it exists, but not in the way you would think. There's a reason why uh, it hasn't been covered quite a lot, so we'll we will answer that on this episode. Heading back to Neo for a Neo tag title match in August of 2010, we're heading to the Tateno Produce Show titled. This is a great title for for a for a show, by the way. It's called Final Neckbreaker. Oh, I mean. I hope she didn't break her neck. That'd be unfortunate. <laughs> but she is retiring, so I guess if you're gonna go out, it is it is the official whatever amount of retirement Norio Tateno went through. I think it was only her second, technically. Yeah, because I guess you have the one, the AJW one, right? The mandatory one, and then she immediately came out of retirement because I was like, "That's bullshit." I'm gonna wrestle for basically the rest of my life, 
And this was her final final goodbye. We have a Kana Produ show from April 2010. Uh, a big match between Kana and Mako Satomura. So stay tuned for that one. That probably uh, a lot of people are interested to hear about. Especially considered Mako is in WWE now along with Asuka. So now more than ever, people are... It's been buzzing. And then we end end out the episode by talking about a couple matches out of the Ribbon Mania show from December 26, 2010 from Ice Ribbon over at Corican Hall. A couple big title matches happened on that show for for important note of two key players. Kay, I like this episode. It, it filled in a lot of kind of historical gaps and uh, important moments. Yeah, it definitely did, especially uh, the thing we're talking about in Sendai, which is something that I had brought to your attention that I was very curious in us covering mm-hmm. regarding uh, one, Kagetsu. Yes, our first romp through the Kagetsu world, or Yukari Ishino. Yes, her her shoot name actually. Um, well, I mean, it is actually her shoot name. It's funny. And Senda, they make you debut under your shoot name, from what I've gathered. But uh, yeah, so she had debuted in two thousand eight, I believe, and um, didn't do anything because you're in Sendai and you're a rookie, so you don't get to do anything but wear a singlet, a uh, really terrible haircut, and just job to everybody. Not much has but changed. Tw- <laughs> oh no! But to start twenty ten off. She, um, well, she had a match to start the show that we're talking about with Dynamite Kansai, where she pretty much just sold the entire match. I think she had like a few maybe roll up spots here and there, but you know, she got squashed by Dynamite Kansai, right? It's, it's not, it's not a question. She just got destroyed, right? So that's how her night started. She comes back out, or I think she cuts the promo afterwards or comes back out later. I can't remember now. Uh, but start say but says uh, my name is now Kagetsu, and this will be the year of Kagetsu. Well, her year started off kind of shaky, didn't it, JD? Yes, we are talking about Sendai Girls Live Volume Forty One, January Thirty First, Twenty Ten. Sendai Girls Pro Wrestling, of course, from Sendai Japan, of course. Uh, supposedly there was an attendance of six hundred, and as we know from this time period, that was period, not. Uh, <laughs> Choshi promotions and really wrestling promotions in general during this era uh, lied about attendances quite often. It was more this commonplace, was bad. yeah. Unless it was unless it was a a sellout of the arena they were, uh, they generally lied. So keep keep that in mind for a lot of these attendances. Even Neo, they might have had twelve hundred people there, but the paid would maybe four hundred. That kind of situation. <laughs> right. Well, in this one especially, because we had a few shots of the crowd, there weren't six hundred people there. There was not. No, there were not. There was. There was. It was like that was those huge rows just empty. There was no way they had six hundred people there. Not. I at mean, all. but can, can can you blame them? They're in Sendai, so the audiences are already kind of dead, not really energetic, as all all Sendai shows have shown us, right? And then they get to see you know Yukari Ishido come out and job in the first match, and then say, "Hey, we will change my name." And what does she do? She goes to the main event and gets her ass kicked again. Shocker. <laughs> so I Come was... To welcome 2010's Joshi. Yeah, so uh, for this episode, I was looking at some more uh, Sendai Girls matches, some key things that happened throughout 2010. Uh, you know, I was just trying to familiar familiarize myself more with the promotion because uh, from a Western audience perspective, 
usually kind of when you first get into it these days or through maybe Saray, as she's now known, or Mako. Ugh. You, you, Ugh. Yeah, don't worry about it. You come across a Sendai uh, pretty quick in the Google of searches. However, they didn't have a title, a major title that represented the promotion until 2015. So this is kind of a wave situation, but even more uh, grotesque about how they how they went about it. Their kind of big title, if you can even call it that, was this title Ryu Mizunami was kind of floating around with, uh, which was more representative of of JWP. It was their junior title and the Princess of Pro uh, wrestling title. I will, I'm going to correct you. One thing, I don't think Sendai was treating that as a belt themselves. The Princess of Pro Wrestling title is a JWP belt, and now I guess a Pure J belt. And it's pretty much a belt that's pretty useless. Like, Suzu held it, but you don't see... You never saw her with it. It's actually kind of surprising we saw Rhea with it, actually. Because nowadays, nobody, outside of when they defend it on the Pure J shows, actually comes out with the belt. Uh, Seriano held it. Suzu held it. Uh, a few other people, I think Asuka held it, Venny. And they don't do anything with it. It's a useless belt. Technically, they took it off of Suzu, or took it off Seriano because she hadn't defended it in two months, but I mean, no one's defended it in two months, so... I understand what you're saying, but if you if you uh, follow how magazines covered Sendai, which I was able to track down a little bit uh, through various uh, message boards, how they were covering it, if you look at the cards from Sendai Girls throughout 2010, this was the belt that was representative of just about every show throughout the year. Now, <laughs> did they run a lot of shows throughout the year? The answer is no. <laughs> no, they did not. No, but it's, a, it's also a rookie belt, too. They have two years of experience, or two or three years of experience or under. Even though Ryu Mizunami had the belt at this time, which is very strange. All right. Well, I think she had only had, like, she did it in 2006, right? So 2004. I think it was... Oh, that's right. Because Gaia, that's right. That's right. I know nowadays it's treated as a rookie belt, and I feel like it was treated as a rookie belt back then too because it wasn't it wasn't treated as a belt that was defended frequently. And I don't know. How, I think it was just defended on Sendai shows because Sendai just, it was a belt in Sendai that wasn't Sendai's that Rio had. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think it was as prominent as I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're thinking it is. So Mizunami got this title... At the end of 2009, uh, defeating Misaki Owada, who had it, and uh, Mizunami defended it uh, twice after that before losing the title to Hiren, <laughs> not a rookie of any kind, <laughs> no, uh, on a Sendai Girl show. So, but because Mizunami had the title and she was in Sendai, that title was basically the only thing really kicking around in Sendai. Uh, the mo the title with the most kind of representation going around very strange uh, optically. I see what you're saying, saying, but yeah, no, I think unlike Wave though, where they their belt got reduced after they had a whole bunch of well momentum, a wave of momentum through all their wave tournaments. Said I just introduced the belt randomly. I mean, the promotion's always kind of been on the same state it is we see here, right? The attendance maybe a little bit more nowadays, but it's not like growing. It's kind of weird when they introduced their belt, and then Mako is their first champion anyways, so... Yes. Also, one thing you'll notice about Sendai and their cards, they're very small. About four or five matches uh, on average, and 
you sometimes see Mako Satomura on them. You see, you definitely see them on quote unquote larger shows, uh, always in the main event. Dash Jusako kind of right along with her. Uh, usually in tag matches, never really big singles matches. Uh, a lot of rookie matches. You, you, I think you get the idea. It's it's a very strange promotion with uninspired cards with at least from what I could tell, no stories being told. You'd be shocked if that hasn't changed in 2021. It has I not. told you that. So, uh, nothing piqued my interest, at least from my fandom, going through Sendai Girls throughout 2010, and I don't think that's going to change as we go through this 2010's journey. So, this card featured Kansai Yukari Ishino, later known as Kagetsu, on this very same night. You already mentioned Kansai squashes her ass. Uh, she does. Ouchtown very, population. Very Ouchtown population Ishino, bro. This, the, this, this poor girl here. Uh, all she got was a few roll-up spots and some drop kicks that were no-sold, mind you. Very, very important detail that despite being, let's see, she deba- debuted in 08, correct? Yes. Yeah, 2008. So nothing was being sold. And this really struck me as kind of a it's I mean, it's a it's it's definitely a classic veteran versus a rookie type match. So with someone barely two years into their career at this point, it came off as fine, you know, perhaps. The next Perhaps. match was Fuka Dash Chisako. I did watch this. It was fine. And then uh, there was the Mizunami Aya Yuki JWP Junior title match in the main event. Went 15 minutes. That was also fine. But in the semi main, it was Kana and Mako Satomura teaming up to take on Dash Chisako. So pulling it back to back here. And now known as Kagetsu, a 16 and a half minute match. She cuts the promo before the match starts, uh, saying right. she is a new person. It will be her year. She is now known as Kagetsu. She will break out of... She's basically proclaiming uh, she's no longer a rookie. The problem is twofold. They still, treat, they still treat her like a rookie. That's the big problem. Well, yes, she's still treated as... Okay, threefold. <laughs> she's still treated as a rookie. She has the same gear, the same haircut. Nothing's changed. It's just the words that are coming out of her mouth, right? Right. It's it's problem here is as she comes out and makes this big proclamation, right? And I don't know if she consulted Mako on this. It doesn't seem like it. If when you kind of see where this whole thing ends up at the end of the year, but she says, I think the the to paraphrase words that she had said in the interview that she had did many many years later before her retirement was, I came out there. And I said, "This is I, my name is Kagetsu from here. This henceforth, this is going to be the year of Kagetsu." Oh, I mean, it wasn't the year of Kagetsu. I don't know if that's going to shock anybody. It was very much not. Uh, quite unfortunate for her. So, <clears throat> this match. <laughs> you call it a match. Uh look. So both Dash and now Kagetsu, they're they're booked earlier and they lost. So here we are in the main event. Now, with this proclamation and Dash 
Uh, I wouldn't call her Mako's protege at all by any means. No, no one on the roster right now is her protege. That's not until Chihiro comes in, and that's not until like 2015. Uh, no, but she's she was trained by Mako. She's four years into her career. She's no longer Chisako Kanari. You know, she kind of shoot name, <laughs> right? She she also went through the whole I am someone else now. It is going to be my year. I was not able to confirm if she made the proclamation because I was curious ah, if ah, I I I know on that you one. know okay inform. So it's funny that you say this. So when she changed her name, she didn't make any proclamation. It just one day she came out and she was Dash Jisako. She was introduced okay. with the introduction at the beginning of the show as Dash Jisako. Made a bigger deal, big deal about it because her sister, I think, was about to either it already debuted or was about to debut, and they sort of brought her up as a trainee. So they kind of brought her up to the front. I think she had debuted. Sendai Sachiko, correct? Yes, that's her sister, her shoot sister. So she they brought her up. I think she was a trainee. I hope she didn't shoot her sister. (laughs) Well, that'd be a different story, though, wouldn't it? (laughs) It might be a Sakushi story. Oh, (laughs) oh, too soon. (laughs) We'll get there on that journey. We won't get there, I promise. <laughs> oh, I think, I think, so she kind of introduced her and then introduced her sister as a trainee. And they, they, I think she introduced her as her sister. So that's kind of how that was set up. And that's kind of it. Just, hey, this is my This is Dash Jisako now. I don't think Dash even said anything. I think Mako just introduced her the entire time. Okay. So it, it my, my suspicions were correct then. It is a Sendai thing to uh, kind of have some event around your new name of some kind i don't think it's i don't think it's a sendai thing i mean we see it in ajw right we saw um uh, erica shishido or aja kong just change her name randomly she'd come out and make a proclamation about it i think the only reason why mako introduced her as dash was probably because not to confuse people maybe yeah maybe she had been, been there for a little while at that point so maybe that was just it it doesn't happen it doesn't happen anymore not that i've seen so so this match consists of, uh, it, it's basically a tag match that mimicked the Kansai squash from earlier. There's a few hope spots. Uh, there's a lot of no selling the double teams for, uh, from either Kana or Mako. So you, my, my own suspicion of speculation is Mako told Kana to not give them much of anything. And it was exactly that. No matter how much the two youngsters would go after Kana and Mako, uh, they just got their asses kicked the entire time. There was, at the very end of the match, there was a couple roll-ups for near falls. They barely made a two-count. So nothing was truly a near fall by all intents and purposes. And could it be the Sendai crowd just being Sendai? Uh, Because it has a notorious reputation for just people sitting on their hands uh i for this particular moment i am more inclined to believe that they themselves did not believe that these rookies were going to win as is the conditioning of the promotion right and especially because kagetsu had just come out announced her name and she spent most of the time in this match more than dash did getting her ass kicked she spent more time in ring getting her ass kicked and dash was kind of on the side for the most part outside of the times she got tagged in double team spot against who just wasn't getting her ass kicked the entire time so she makes this big proclamation and does nothing if anything she probably got it worse than she did when dynamite kansai at least beat her up at this point mako and connor are beating her up hmm. and that does it for kagetsu she loses uh nothing changed 
and life moves on. Boy, where we have where have we heard that story before? <laughs> it's almost like it's the same song. Nothing changes the same. I, I messed that saying up that night. I it's, understand. It's, it, <laughs> it's, it's it's never changed. Sendai will always be Sendai. They'll never grow ever. Yeah, it's not one of the more fun promotions to cover on this journey. Uh, I guess we'll cover it maybe a select amount of times. Uh, maybe an event like this will come across in the future. Uh, I'm sure you have a couple things in mind, Kay, that's worth at least checking out. Uh, obviously, it's like first title match, that kind of thing. Uh, but we're right. a ways away from uh, things like that. We move... I think the only things I want to talk about are just Kagetsu stuff. I think that's the only thing I'll probably bring up until about 2015 when all the stuff actually starts happening. Yeah, uh, yeah. when people leave, that's kind of the, <laughs> the things we're talking about uh, when they leave Sendai. Mizunami, Kagetsu, etc. We move on to a singles match at Shinjuku Face uh, from April 29th, 2010. It is the Kana Produce Kana Pro Show. Uh, with the main event of Kana versus Meiko Satomura. Also on this card, Kay, Kana and Ayumi Kurihara teaming up to take on Sawako Shimono and Toshi Umatsu. We saw them on the Catch the Wave journey that we went on. Yes, yes we did. Uh, match was fine, I guess. I'm not a Toshi Umatsu fan, so... Uh, I, like her, I like her enough. Yeah. Hikaru Sato and Katsumi Usuda... Uh, defeat the team of Kango Mashimo and Yujiro Yanamoto. Yanamoto, uh, old New Japan man. For old New Japan man. Yeah, it's uh, just uh, it's it's fine. <laughs> I think Kango Mashimo is from Two AW, and he's still wrestling there to this day. I think he's in. His oh, that 40s. wouldn't shock me. That yeah. wouldn't shock me at all. Uh. I might have misspoke with the old New Japan man, but you get the idea I'm going for. It's uh, old people, it's, old guys. It's, it's old people and indie scummers, basically. A trios match of Gentaro, Kota Ibushi, and Yuji Hino. So we got some DDT scummers here. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Defeat the mighty Gami. <laughs> Mo Munanori Sawa and uh, Men's Teo. I have no clue who this guy was, but he's. 50 years old now. He was in his 40s then. Uh, it's a comedy. Tell you what, though. It's a comedy Tell guy. You what, though. Amy didn't need the pin in that match. I bet you. <laughs> well, no. I bet you she didn't need no pin in that match. No. And you're never. This was a real thing on the card. Yuki Ishikawa loses to Tatsumi Fujinami in 2010 in the semi main. 10 minutes. Incredible. Very interesting, I yeah. guess. A lot of a lot of DDT on this on this card and wackiness. It's a it's a it's definitely a Kana show. <laughs> oh yeah, and they get they get weirder. They get weirder. Shinjuku face attendance of five oh nine, uh, supposedly. Ugly green mat, by the way, just a horrid color. That still exists, by the way. I'm seeing people run shows with that mat recently. Yeah, we just saw it not too long ago on the uh, Chikayo 25th anniversary show. I, I, where the hell is this mat coming from? It looks awful. It's just atrocious looking. I think they just borrow it from a warehouse at Shinjuku Face. <laughs> Have to be right. Yeah. So Mako Satomura, Kana main event. First time ever between these two. This is the first one. 
Is it their first singles match? I thought, it was, yeah, I guess you're right. Ah, it is. It is. The first time they face each other. So it's mostly mat work with a few flash moments focused around some quick strikes, uh, particularly from Kana, and then Mako, you know, gets her licks in. And then, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, for 16.48 minutes, that's kind of all that happened. For a good 14 minutes of it, it was just that bit of mat work, maybe a strike here or there, and then they did uh, some no-sell spots uh, for the last couple minutes, a couple reversals, more strikes, and Mako simply just wins off a scorpion kick uh, into a rear naked choke because she can't just pin Kana. She has to choke her out. Kay, this match was boring, and I was extremely disappointed in it. Right, so... When we watched this, I didn't know that I didn't remember that this was their first time or not, right? And so I went and looked it up on Cage Match and then a few other sources just to double check. And this was the first time these two met in a singles competition. You can tell, right? You can tell both of them don't want to pull a whole lot out on each other because of how both of them are positioned in the scene at the time, right? They're both kind of in the upper end. So they don't want to go all out, right? To produce show. Time they've met each other, maybe saved the stuff for later. You get a lot of that feeling. One of the mat work was probably because of that. They have better matches later. I can attest to that. They have much better matches between the two later. This one sucked. It was very boring, like you said. A lot of mat work. A lot of nothing mat work, too. It wasn't like it was meant to work anything because they weren't working limbs. If they were, they weren't working them long enough for it to really seem like they were doing anything with them. It was a very bad match. I just think it was boring. I compared this match to a Honda Accord. You're going to show up. You're going to show up for it. You're going to get into the car. You're going to be like, hey, yeah, it's a car. Maybe maybe it'll surprise me. And then you just remember, oh, yeah, it's a Honda Accord. I guess it'll give me something reliable over time. And It's very specific. <laughs> That's an experience, the Honda Accord or something? Well, I mean, it was only my first car when I was 16. I'm, not, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a very specific example to pull from. Uh... I won't take credit for that joke. It's a it's a it's a spin off of a comedian joke off of um basically basically the whole the whole point of the joke is it's fine but not inspiring. And it really sparked a question mark I had with what we've seen of Mako Satomura. Uh not just out not just in this match, but kind of overall in general. She never diverts her style. She never seems to kick it up to a new gear for a particular match. And the more I thought about it, and even comparing to her matches even later in the decade, it really kind of sparked that further question of, this is kind of all she is. It feels... Right, though. Yeah, right. yeah it's, it, it's quite surprising. And then I was, I was like, well, I was thinking back to the Mae Young Classic, and... Uh, in WWE, where a lot of people, you know, were exposed to her for the first time, at least in terms of Western wrestling fans, and even going to her NXT UK matchup recently against Kaylee Ray, in which she lost, it's all the same thing. And when you kind of put the puzzle pieces together and compare match to match, if Mako Satomura is against an opponent that is positioned less than her. Uh, 
she does only this one thing through her match. It's the same structure each and every time. And it gives off the illusion that she's really good. Now, I'm not saying she's a bad wrestler by any means. I think she's a good wrestler. But is she a great wrestler? And the more I thought about all these questions kind of piling up onto each other, I'm really now questioning how great Mako Satomura actually is, or is it just an overblown perspective over kind of what her career represents uh, through a series of longevity, getting that small push in Gaia, and kind of being the star rookie to come out of there, and her having her own promotion where the wrestling itself is very solid and she's a good trainer, for that, I, I so this is how I think I'll break it down because I think I, I'm on the same track as you. But I think, I think what it is is her sort of formula, right? Mm-hmm. Is actually really good. She's been doing it for so long that she's perfected it, so it looks crisp. It looks, it looks perfected, right? It doesn't. It looks kind of flawless. She doesn't mess up. She doesn't botch. Right? But she does like the same sort of sequences. The times that her matches have ever been kicked up a notch, it's been on her de- opponent to do it, like, like Io Shirai. Her Io Shirai matches have been this really good thing, mostly because Io makes them good. It's not because Mako makes them good. It's Io kind of adds her spin into Mako's sort of style, and that makes it a better match. Mako's not a bad wrestler, like you said. I'd say she's a very good wrestler, but I think she's too formulaic. Once you know the formula, you can't unsee the formula. So that I think is her big issue because, like I said, the for- like I said, the formula is is really good. It's a really good formula. The problem is, is it's all she does. She's perfected it, but she doesn't deviate from it ever. So I'm glad you brought up the Io Shirai match, which we will get to on this journey. And in that case, that's where Io Shirai was positioned higher in technicality, and she was able to, and the style was so different that it forced Mako to do some adjustments to her formula. And that's kind of that's kind of where I was going with the whole uh, her match has a ceiling with her opponent. And in the case of Kana here, Kana's very map-based. Kana's very strike-based. It's very similar. So it was two people doing a similar, similar match. Similar. Similar match. <laughs> and it kind of it kind of lended itself to what we got, which was a very Honda Accord type match. And right. I'm, look- no. I'm looking forward to their second matchup because I have a feeling they came out of this going, we could have done better. We could have done more. We should have done more. We'll get them next time. All right. Well, I think they were just saving on stuff like I had mentioned. It seemed like that, that was the case. This was the first time the two had met in the ring singles wise. Um, on the EO one, I wouldn't even say she changed her formula. I, like I said, it's on. it was on EO to make her style go well with that. Like, had several matches with each other and every one of them is sort of had this very high pace to it and it's not Mako that makes the pace high it's always Io. Mako just does her formula maybe she speeds it up a little bit to match Io's speed but I don't think she makes I don't think she's ever made any giant adjustments to her moveset nothing that I can ever recall. Yeah yeah so one, one thing one thing I'd like to do at the end of when we when we finish out the covering 2010 I kind of want our kind of top five wrestlers of the year, maybe uh, our favorite match or two that we saw from the year, and uh, kind of 
spin off a, an end conversation off that. And that will come uh, when we cover... The Oz Academy Get Wild show, uh, which took place on September 19th. So that's our last one of 2010. Oh, okay. I mean, that's interesting. I didn't, I thought we would cover Ribbon Mania of the end of the year. Well, we're covering Ribbon Mania right here. Oh, don't mind me. You moron. <laughs> Listen, don't mind me. I do want to talk about the, the end of year Kagetsu thing, just to... I don't know if it's going to be worth watching, but I at least want to talk about that when we get there. You can bring it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mark that down so we don't forget, Kay. I already have it marked down. Okay. Don't you worry. Neo tag titles on the line. We are heading to Corican Hall. It's Neo Summer Stampede. We are ever so closer to Neo closing its doors <laughs> at the end of the year. Very close. <laughs> August 1st, 2010. Also on this card. I have it up now. Uh, <laughs> supposed attendance of 987. I am sure that's correct, but how many are paid is the questionable part. There was a singles match in the semi-main of Nagisa Nozaki against Shuri, which lasted five minutes. Wasn't that the famous knockout match? Uh, that is a knockout match. I can confirm. All right, yeah, yeah. I'll just make sure I remember that right. Kaori Oniyama defends the JWP title against Tanny Mouse. My, how things haven't changed. <laughs> no. I mean, she is currently the Peter J champion. She's defending that thing like a beast anywhere and everywhere. In dentist's office, sign me up. At a wave, sign me up. <laughs> I'm waiting for the it's Oz so Academy funny. show. <laughs> she, it's, I think she already has more defenses than Leon, who was the one she took the belt off of. <laughs> <laughs> there was a three-way of uh, Yuki Miyazaki defeating Emi Sakura and Toshi Yamatsu. Toshi Yamatsu everywhere, it seems. Makoto, Manami yeah, she... Toyota, and Miyako Matsumoto. What a team that is. Defeat Hikaru <laughs> Shida, Mima, Shimoda, and Tsukasa Fujimoto. I can confirm this match was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this match is crazy. Manami Toyota's I've seen, I've face. Seen this. Looking at Miyako Matsumoto is... is, is that's worth entry alone. It is very funny. Uh, 17 minutes it went. It's um, It was quite the trip. Asami right, Kawasaki. The legend. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Asami Kawasaki. The legend Reactor is great. Yeah, yeah. Asami Kawasaki defeats Mio Shirai. And the very first match was Haley Hatred, a kind of the top gaijin of 2010. Um, oddly enough, she was JWP champion. I th No, she had a couple defenses, I think, against Yonayama. Um, but she teamed up with Ryo Mizunami in the opener again and defeated Aya, Yuki, and Kagetsu. So all the Sendai girls in the opener <laughs> beating each other up. Plus a guy. It looks like that's, uh, I mean, nothing's changed, I guess, really. No, indeed. But we are here for the main evento. It is Ayumi Kurihara and Yoshiko Tamura, the tag champs. They've had these belts for a little while. They're against Team Triple Tails. Io Shirai and Kana, 22 minutes, 39 seconds. Kay, I thought this match was awesome. Of course it was. I thought it was awesome, too. Uh, Io, just seeing early Io Shirai is always so much fun to watch. Because you could see all that talent, all that athleticism, but it's just all over the place. She's just wild. Like, crazy. She goes to the top rope so much, just for no reason, just to do it. 
She can't help herself but flip and dive and whatnot, but at least in a tag team setting, especially with Kana and Yoshiko Tamura, uh, two veterans at this point, uh, Yoshiko Tamura, a seasoned veteran, if you will, look, they were able to reel her in and, and work her crazy, awesome uh, dives and spots into key moments of the match that really got her to highlight. But the key to this match and I was loving this, was the Ayumi Kurihara knee selling. She came in with a heavily taped knee. She wasn't limping at first, so uh, I believe her knee, uh, this is just my my belief, I believe her knee was uh, ailing her, and because of that, they kind of let her uh, have an entire match built around selling the knee. So or very early on in the match, uh, Kana, Shirai, Tamura, they're all on the outside. Kurihara goes to the top, and she goes for the big crossbody dive. The Mayu dive, the Tam dive, the stardom dive, if you will. Uh, and she lands and lets out a banshee-like shriek of pain that if I do it uh, on this podcast, I will uh, top out the mic, and you will, hate, you will hate me for killing your ears. It seemed so real that she broke her knee. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought she actually had hurt herself. And she might have been already kind of hurt. Maybe she tweaked a little bit. Remember, they started. They were working hurt a lot around this time, too, because that's how you made money. If you didn't work, you didn't You didn't eat, really, right? It wouldn't surprise me if it was actually a legit injury. Maybe not bad injury, though. Because it seemed a little too... That shriek seemed a little too, like, actual pain for me to think it was fake. Nah, she absolutely, she absolutely worked it. This is wrestling, after all. And for a massive chunk of the match, uh, it was Kana and Shirai working the hell out of this leg, knee bars, kicks, all in the like, all building up to the big Yoshiko Tamura hot tag. But it, at least that's what you thought. In reality, it was all about the Kurihara valiant comeback. That's what it was. Occasionally, uh, she would get to Tamura, and Tamura would quickly tag right back out because uh, it was all about the story of Kurihara and her comeback. It led all the way to this great finish. Uh, so, great spot here. So, Io, Io Shirai, maybe you've heard of her. She does a top rope 450. But the thing is, Kurihara is standing upright, kind of rocked. She's selling, right? And you're like, oh, is Io going to do this like Rey Mysterio West Coast Pop 450 situation? No. No, no. She does a 450 and axe kicks the top of Kurihara's head. It's so absurd. <laughs> it is so wacky. There's also another spot where Kana has uh, Kurihara in a camel clutch. And Shirai hits the ropes. She runs across the ring. She does a big back handspring. And she goes for the front drop kick coming out of the back handspring. She jumps and she goes up and down. There's no forward momentum because she just did a back handspring. So all her momentum is going backwards. And she falls short about a foot away from actually connecting anything. She falls. The crowd laughs. And Kana points at her and laughs. Aha! <laughs> it was so good it was so funny like she wasn't even close that's how bad it was how, it was like the uh, Sukasa one where she just wasn't close oh yeah it, it is was 
It is the I best. I, I love all these late aces, these later 2010 aces, botching drop kicks because it's so funny. Yeah, you brought up the Sukasa Fujimoto one against Natsuki Tayo, where Tayo's coming off the uh, the top rope and Sukasa goes up and down. <laughs> and wasn't even close. Not even close. Yeah. So, Kurihara T-bones EO right on her head after stereo air raid drivers these wild things. And Kurihara gets the win, retains the title. Great match. Lot of fun. High energy. Great in-ring story. It all built up for Kurihara and ended with Kurihara. She is the star on the rise. Will we ever see her in a big singles match that will win is the big question. It remains. So it's funny because I I wanted to look some of that up and I don't even... I, I stopped myself because I don't want to spoil it at this point now, right? Because right? I couldn't remember if she got a big singles win or a big singles title match at any point. I'm leaning on that she doesn't, though. So... I hope I'm wrong, because uh, she's she's been the best part of these things, her, Fuka, and uh, Ohada. But I already know Ohada's story, and I already know Fuka's story. So I know where they end up, and I don't know where Kurihara ends up. I forget, or I haven't done enough research to, to sort of know. We shall see. So yes, this match was incredibly fun. Who will be the ones that will take these Neo tag titles away? Or will they just go the way... Uh, of, well, retirement since the promotion's closing down. I can confirm, because we are not uh, watching at least one of these matches, or at least both of them, uh, Aya Yuki and Ryu Mizunami win these titles from them on November 13th, 2010. Oh. Oh, that's right. And then like, the promotion closes and they don't have the belts anymore. <laughs> well, on the very last show of the year, they lose the belts... To oh, Neo right. Machine Guns, to Tanny Mouse, and Yuki Miyazaki. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I forgot that like that was the last yeah. show, and they just decided not, just not going to have to, you're going to hold belts at the end. We're going to have these two hold on. I wrote this down wrong. They lose it two weeks later, on November 28th, to Tanny Mouse and Yuki Miyazaki. And then, uh, they, that was the last time the tag belts were defended. Right, because I remember seeing that Tandy Mouse, someone who I keep saying name pop-up, was the last Neo Tag Champ. I was like, wait, what? And then I looked up that they had pretty much won the belts right after and decided to not defend them and just go into the closure of the company. Correct. So sad stuff there. I do have a surprise on that Oz Academy show that we're covering of one, at least one final match. Just for UK and for myself. Uh, it's going to involve Ozaki, isn't it? No, I wouldn't do that to you. Oz Academy. No, and you're excited. come on. Uh-huh. I mean, just because Oz Academy is involved doesn't mean... Uh, that doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> it means Ozaki's always involved because it's a vanity promotion. No, 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 no. No, no, no. No? It, what, the, what would you call Oz Academy, then? I, I, I would call it... Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, let's move on. <laughs> Shinjuku face again. <laughs> Shocking. It's a cheap venue to, to book. Uh, no, Norio Tateno produce final neck breaker. 702 people there. Uh, this was a definite celebration type show. Uh, 
not it didn't come across as just for Norio Tateno. It came across as kind of a celebration of what LLPW was. And I did a little research over kind of the end of LLPW. I know technically it still exists. Don't just hear me out. It does. Okay. Just hear me out. Uh basically uh, from how attendance went and how often they ran shows, uh, a couple years prior in 2008, Tateno uh, did an interview and a couple other people within LLPW were also in this interview. And they kind of said that LLPW, uh, with the lack of, of talent influx and and attendance and not being able to really rent places and make enough money it was no longer financially feasible to run llpw shows regularly and it was decided uh upon in this year that nori Tateno was going to officially retire and it kind of sparked the it, it it wasn't officially the end of llpw but for all intents and purposes LLPW has come to an end. Uh, in right, so uh, yeah, go on. Uh, LLPW, um, the proper LLPW, closes in 2011. So a year after this, it closes. It then reboots uh, in 2012 as LLPW X. Right, as they found new funding. So LLPW still exists. Yes, of its initial closure, it's kind of like how Neo closed originally, right? Neo closed in 2000. And then they they got funding and rebooted themselves. That's how it happened with LLPW because it closed in 2011 for like you said, lack of funding, lack of people coming in, and no one really watched the shoot style stuff anymore. It wasn't popular, especially after the um stuff with Anoki made it very unpopular for uh, MMA and wrestling to mix. They had a hard time getting attendance, and thus they couldn't keep kicking around. But when they rebooted, they kind of got rid. Of all of the, all the stuff that made LLPW LLPW, they got rid of all the MMA style things and just became a just like a stock promotion under right. the LLPWX banner. What made LLPW special, along with uh, kind of the talent, um, not be there. Basically, they weren't able to pay the talent, and uh, you can kind of mark the time frame in 2008 when Tateno and a number of other people. I did that interview. So here we are. It's two years later from that interview that I was able to hunt down. And they kind of treat this as a memorial in a lot of sense and a celebration. They have Tateno's. They got a bunch of Tateno pictures through the decades of her wrestling journey uh, through AJW, uh, through her various stages in LLPW. And now here we are. So the first match on the card was Kyoko and Takako Inoue, so double Inoue versus Toyota and Shimoma. Shimoda. Hey, how about that tandem? Haven't seen the Tokyo Sweethearts in a hot minute. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they tagged a whole lot either after the sort of AJW stuff. Yeah, 15-minute draw there. Ayako Sato, Kana, and Misaki Oada in the undercard taking on Cherry, Moeka Haorui, and Sawaka Shimono. So the wave crew, for all intents and purposes, right there. Um, you can kind of guess who was involved, perhaps in booking them. If you thought if you <laughs> thought the mighty Gammy, you were correct. Ah, <laughs> oh, Gammy, Gammy came in college, came up booking. <laughs> and then there was a 16-man battle royal. Uh, Harley Sato defeats a motley crew of names here. Uh, 
me pull up the uh, Mizuku Endo, otherwise known as Iger. <laughs> yeah, Iger uh, was actually signed to LFPW for a long, long time. Yes. Uh, before she got real slow. <laughs> I mean, she's still wrestling even now. Yes, in Sendai Girls, occasionally. Uh, and, and LPWX, whenever they run shows. <laughs> sure, sure. Aja Kong, Bachiko, Command Bolshoi, not Boloshi, Dump Matsumoto, Dynamite Kansai, The Mighty Gami, Jaguar, better than your favorite wrestler, Yukota. How dare you steal my line? <laughs> Jumbo Hori, a rare appearance. That's an 80s throwback. Kaoru Ito, Mayumi Ozaki, Mizuku Endo, so Iger came out twice. Reika, don't know who that was, wasn't able to confirm. Sakura Hirota and Yumiko Hota, your favorite wrestler, Kay. (laughs) So a mixture of the 80s and kind of early 2000s. Yeah, uh, but what a... Um, do you mind if I pull something from the notes that I actually found on my uh, my phone from when I was doing my Neo episode and JWP episode and found some stuff on LLPW? I don't mind at all. Go for it. So I uh, looked up stuff. So when you when that interview had happened, you had said, right, they hadn't closed yet, right? But there was fear of them closing. And I think they were all told that things weren't going to last much longer, and thus the interview was given. Uh, the interview in question was more of a explanation as to why LLPW both wasn't running very many shows, and sort of almost like a, I believe it was considered like a plea to get some help and backing at the same time, because they were having a hard time getting attendance, so they thought if they sort of portrayed how the how the attendance is doing and how bad they're off they might get some people to kind of come in and check them out maybe try to save them as a promotion because of the legacy because they did actually a whole video package before this interview actually where they showed sort of showed um clips from lpw's history to kind of give people excited or kind of get them up to speed because lpw was doing really really bad like i don't think it can be understated just how bad the stuff with the noki affected them as a promotion because he made MMA wrestling very, very unpopular. Like, a lot of Japanese people just hated the idea. That was kind of their identity for years. It was just a really good mix, unlike Anoki, of MMA and wrestling. And when they closed in 2011, Endori um, tried to find more funding, but only find some in 2012, and it's unclear at this point if they're even funded anymore or if she's just self-funding them herself because she actually has a lot of money because she helps train uh, female MMA fighters on the side. Interesting. She has her own dojo in school where she trains female kickboxers and MMA fighters. There's a few people that are champions that she's trained over the sort of MMA kickboxing women scene over in Japan. Just from notes that I found, I, I just randomly jotted some of them down because I was planning on doing one at, an episode at one point and just never did. Alrighty. Our main event, Norio Tateno teams up with the Mighty Gammy. <laughs> I can't help myself Mighty anymore. Mighty Gammy. <laughs> and they take on the team of Harley Saito and Ayumi Korihara in the main event. Okay. Now this isn't a major singles match. However, all signs would point to either Gami or Tateno pinning Kurihara. That's what you thought. I, 
That's what I thought, definitely. I was like, yeah, Kurohara's taking the pin. And knowing the scene, that's what anybody would think. Knowing what I know, and, and just from an outside non-Joshi perspective, you would think, okay, the person retiring goes out on their back to someone that they want to push, okay? So that normally, would mean... yes. Yeah, yes, <laughs> normally. So that would mean Kurihara pins Tateno. Okay. So the match itself is quite fun. Uh, Saito and Tateno have their have their nice little matchup. Gami and Kurihara go at it, uh, playing off, I guess, uh, you know, in our headcanon, uh, their wave rivalry, I guess, <laughs> I guess, for all intents and purposes. And then something fun breaks down where Tateno gets thrown in the corner. The entire roster that's been a, a, on the show hits the ring and they all do fun splashes in the corner to her. Uh, doing some shtick, uh, dump Matsumoto, swastika on the forehead and all, gives her a big hug in the corner. That was a nice little moment. Uh, some people give her hard shots. Some people give her soft ones. Mayumi Ozaki runs to the corner and kisses her on the lips. That really took me through for a loop. <laughs> Did, didn't surprise me, because I know Ozaki's penchant for kissing certain women in the scene on the lips. Well, Ozaki did not hesitate. <laughs> to get a get a smooch on old Titano here uh makes my heart go a flutter uh, of course it yeah, does <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah it was it was just a real nice moment uh, me being a big Titano fan love the jumping bomb angels i really really uh love Titano's career and what she was able to do without ever being kind of the focal point of really anything and llpw was as close as she ever got uh, depending on how you look at her WWF run, that's a conversation for another day. But yeah, a very nice moment. And then once that was all done, they got the business again. Harley Saito look old in this match. Oh man, and she Bishi boy uh, she, style she too. Wrestling. She wasn't wrestling anymore. I don't think at this point. I think if she, I think, I think if she was wrestling, it was very. It was kind of how Dump does nowadays, where it's like once in a blue moon, once every like six months, you'll see a Dump Matsumoto appearance. Saito so, is not in wrestling shape. So Harley Saito retired officially in 2012. Yeah, so um, well, I mean, I know she retired. She's not retired at this point. I'm just saying she might. Have, she's where Dump is right now. Where Dump's not officially retired either in modern times. But she wrestles every so once in a while. Well, okay. So to reiterate, this was really her last match. She had her official retirement match two years later. So yeah, uh, she was part, she was very much part of LLPW as well. Uh, went to a bunch of wave shows uh, during the time, but yeah, she, her career is pretty much done as well. Like I said, this was kind of a memorial of LLPW uh, for a lot of these wrestlers. Uh, so the <laughs> Gammy's all comedy. It's ridiculous. Tateno, Saito, and Kuriara trying to have a real good like last match, right? And uh, oh, according to Cage Match, this was Saito's last match. Uh, that wasn't uh, yeah. that wasn't her retirement match. So there you go. It kind of reiterates uh, what my research was telling me. Yeah, that's what I was also saying that she was pretty much done with wrestling. Uh, she couldn't. I mean, we saw in this match she could barely go at all. She she was definitely doing her best, and uh, at, at the very least, the tag match style was able to hide enough. So I, I, her last match officially was in 2012. It was the 12-29-2012 show, LLPWX show. Yeah. It was her official last match. 
And I love the finishing stretch. It was all about Kurihara and Tateno. Tateno getting her last of her moves in. And Kurihara T-bones her, hammerlock suplexes her, and pins Tateno. A real nice moment. The young star goes over. The retiree goes out on their back. Classic pro wrestling. Good stuff. And it kind of hit me in the feels, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think I would have liked Kurihara getting... See, that's the thing with retirement stuff. I feel like it only works for me if I if I know that they're gonna go somewhere. And I, I never, at this point, I don't think Kurihara is going anywhere. But we're still gonna get pushed up the scene. I I mean, I looked up her cage match real quick, so I kind of saw where she goes. But <sighs> it makes it hurts. It hurts me because the scene had such talents like her and like Fuka and people like that who just didn't get a chance. Sure, Fuka was able to make a better career for herself, you know, with stardom and stuff like that, and sort of working behind the scenes with them. But Kurihara didn't get that same luxury, and I feel like someone like her was way too talented and could have been a bigger star, period. But just nobody seemed to back her until it was too late. Well, two people on this journey so far, we have come across that I would say are stars on the rise. Kurihara is a thousand percent one of them. And the other, I will point to Carlos Amano over in Oz Academy. Again, that's a conversation for another day. Uh, we we know uh, 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 Amano has the title in Oz Academy. Now we're looking at the stories that are evolving around her, revolving around her, or lack thereof. That's what we're following over in Oz Academy. What is Carlos Amano going to do uh, before her unfortunate or early retirement due to her damaged brainstem? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing with Carlos is that she had already been wrestling for a long time. I, real, I realize that, but she is one of the younger stars in the scene. Yumi Oka, you can kind of point to her as well uh, to an extent. But oh, she Oka, booked, yeah, we know, we know, we know look, Oka goes somewhere. <laughs> look, we know that one. At least I do. It's all about recounting the journey. Okay. So, yeah, Curry Hart goes over. Very happy. And our last show is Ribbon Mania. Ice Ribbon 250 from Cork and Hall. Attendance 889. For some reason, I kind of believe that. <laughs> uh, I think Ice Ribbon at this point was actually one of the only promotions that was good on attendance. And even now to this day, they don't lie about their attendance. They've never uh, fibbed their attendance. So they've always kind of stuck to what they had. It's always admirable by them at the very least. I think Emmy just didn't want that. And obviously that passed on to Sukasa. I just didn't want to fake anything. Right. Ribbon Mania is their biggest show of the year. It's always kind of the end climax, if you will. And the um, first match on the card is Hikari... Okay. The first match on the card is the teenager match. It's Hikari Minami, the old one, at 16. <laughs> yeah, the grandma of the bunch. Teaming with Sakushi, defeating Karumi and Riho. The average age of this match was 13. <laughs> it's so funny. It's crazy just seeing young ass Sakushi still doing the stuff that she does now, but just smaller and not and more, now she's more crisp with her movements. It's it's nuts, man. Three-way match followed that. Donchika Dino, of all people, uh, defeats Chi Tomia and Miyako Matsumoto. Great place for them on the card. <laughs> Big match Dino here, second on second on the card on an ice ribbon show. Little did we know 
that 11 years later, he's going for the KOD title in TDT against Judah. Well, did we know that he was also a champion at some point later on? Yes, absolutely. Tag team match. The Shirai sisters uh, defeat Jessica Love and Maichi. Tajiri, All Japan Pro Wrestling Booker Man, defeats Makoto in a in an intergender match. So Ice Ribbon's not never never uh, fallen afraid from the from the intergender. Uh, Even the, nowadays, you still see it. And we're gonna cover the next two matches here. But the main event was Emi Sakura, The Ham, Hamako Hoshi, Sayaka Obihiro defeating the team of Kazumi Shimoma, Nene, and Natsuki Tayo, basically Passion Red. Uh, not sure why that was the main event, but uh, it kind of made sense with whom had the titles uh, going in. So the first match we're talking on Ribbon Mania is Tsukasa Fujimoto taking on the Ice Cross 60 champion, Command Bolshoi. There was a story. Yeah. There was a small story uh, throughout the fall of Bolshoi winning the title and Fujimoto wanting to get it back from the outsider. So, you know, a classic ah, little... The first outsider. First outsider to win it, too. Yes, first outsider to win it. Classic little... Uh, uh, it's a classic kind of scene story of the outsider comes in, takes your title, and then your ace wins it back. Uh, we've seen it a thousand times. We'll see it a thousand more. This was no exception. Bolshoi, really about the uh, frilly streamers across her gear. <laughs> That's always been her thing, though. It's 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 very interesting if you look at all the gear she's had. She's got a, always had a very weird and interesting aesthetic to her. Well, not including the mask with the clown nose. Yeah, and uh, this is... I mean, I have not seen a lot of Command Bolshoi. Uh, it's, it's very sparring. I've seen plenty. Really just kind of YouTube videos. Uh, needless to say, I don't watch a lot of Pure J. I know, shocking. Uh, it's... <laughs> Not very, it's not on the top of my radar, uh, to say the least. Oh, but you should watch GWP, though. GWP is where it's at, brah. Uh, well, that's a, uh, for all I know, that's a different promotion. <laughs> it's the same promotion. No, totally Technically. different. Totally Technically. different. It's the same promotion. What's next? LLPW X is, is also LLPW? Come on. Yes. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so Command Bolshoi, very mat-based. Not an exciting offense at all. Fujimoto was grounded and not able to hit the ropes and speed it up as much as I was hoping for. The match only went 9 minutes 37 seconds. Crowd kind of had a hard time getting into it. So did I. But it was definitely indicative of the story coming to the uh, to a conclusion. And Fujimoto gaining the title back. And Fujimoto also has the tag titles. Another title I was unable, unable to identify, but it was definitely cardboard. And now she has the uh, cross 60 back. She cuts a promo in the back in front of this busted down wall that definitely needs a paint job. It doesn't have bullet holes in the back. <laughs> totally, totally doesn't look shady, bruh. The uh, the scene is rough. <laughs> this is uh, I believe this is in Cork and Hall too, right? Yes, Cork and Hall is also rough. <laughs> in places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's quite funny. So the other belt she has, I believe, I believe. It's like some kind of weird ver like version of the Juku title before it was the Juku title. Oh man. <laughs> like it's not it isn't the same rule set as the Juku belt, but it's kind of got a it's like a weird gimmick belt, which is what the Juku belt was originally. It was the first big gimmick belt. College. I, I have no idea. I can't remember the name of it, but I did ask about that and was told that 
the person does not remember the name, but that it's a weird gimmick belt. Nice ribbon, because of course it's it's got all the frills and like it was handmade, you can tell. So what did you think of the match? What did you think of Bolshoi and Fujimoto? So I liked this match actually. Surprisingly, um I liked well, I want I like how Bolshoi in her later parts of her career structured some of her matches around her own limitations. If you didn't know, she has a really bad um it's like a disease that messes up her back. Oh. What she has like scoliosis. scoliosis. Yeah, okay. I think it's scoliosis that she has. I can't I can't remember if that's exactly what it is, but I'm pretty pretty positive that's what she has. So she can't do a lot of the high flying stuff that she had done when she was early in the nineties as Bolshoi kid, right? So her style was uh map based and slowing people down, and it worked for someone like Sukasu Fujimoto, who is at this point in her career, speedy McFly fly. And so it's she has to ground her and keep her down from outspeeding her, essentially, which is how Sukasa ends up winning it anyways when she starts able to sort of get her stuff in and Bolshoi can't keep her down. I liked it a lot. The second time seeing this match. And I liked it the first time, but I just still like it the second time. I mean, I'd give it I'd give it a, a gentleman's one star out of three recommendation here. Uh, I forgot to mention that that uh, Neo tag title match earlier with Kurihara, Tamara against Kana and Shirai. That's a, that's a full three stars, as far as I'm concerned. Go watch it. Definitely. It was a good match. Yeah. I, I would say just watching this one too, especially if you're curious, sort of early Ice Ribbon story, the first outsider to hold the belt. It's technically Mio Shirai is not an outsider. I think she was signed when she had the belt, but I can't remember. But this is definitely the first outsider to hold the belt. A few outsiders have held those belts, by the way. That belt, by the way. Mm-hmm. The very few belts that doesn't have a whole lot of lineage outside of its own company. So, yeah. Uh, match didn't go very long. A lot of mat work. Uh, it's definitely interesting. And our last match on the card today, it is the Neo title slash NWA Women's Pacific title. The double, the double sucker. It's Yoshiko Tamura taking on Hikaru Shida. So they played a big video package prior to the match. Uh, showing Sheeta struggling and valiantly fighting back on various uh, Ice Ribbon shows and Neo shows. And uh, the whole story told was Sheeta wanting to level up and overcome the big veteran. Your classic old guard against the young up-and-coming wrestler. Uh, will the story play out the same? Or will we buy into it and get something out of this? I mean, Sheeta has a big bruise on her chin, so it looks like she has a goatee. It's kind of funny. It's very funny. Listen, old guard matches only go one way, brah. Well, to spoil it, it does in fact go the one way. Tamara defeats Sheeta, but not without its share of drama. High level of selling from Tamara. And Sheeta looking the best we have seen in 2010. Let's play. Let's play it back for a second. Not literally the audio, but let's play it back. Sheeta and Sukasa Fujimoto looked night and day away from each other, yin and yang. One was good, one was bad. Sheeta was definitely the bad one at the beginning of the year. Cut back to that oh, yeah, episode definitely. where we covered. We first saw them. Sheeta was rough. She was slow. She couldn't do suplexes right. She looked like one of the worst Drop wrestlers on the planet. 
drop kicks. Her drop kicks didn't connect at all. No. There was like a gap between her and her opponent, like a wide one. Sheeta here. Hair's a little bit longer. She's more vocal. She runs faster. She has a ripped six-pack, and she thin and strong. Her gear's a little different, and she's very knee-strike heavy, kind of kickboxy and judoka style to her. She has developed over this year twofold over. She What's is story? clearly working What's on it, and that's her story. Incredible. Uh, she, I, she did an interview earlier in the year, frustrated with how little she had accomplished or how little she had improved compared to her peers, and her, especially Sukasa, people within the same sort of class as her. She was very frustrated. She even points out that Miyako has held the big belt and that Sukasa's held the big belt, and that she's held no belts. So she was frustrated. So this is her story where she improved throughout the year. We see the culmination at Ribbon Mania as most of these stories tend to culminate. Tired of being in Riho's shadow. We can admit it. She's even going through it in AEW. Riho got to it first. She beat her to get that title shot. I don't believe she mentioned Riho in her thing. She mentioned oh, Kasa it's, it's You can just hear the <laughs> hatred in Sheeta's uh, voice of not mentioning Riho. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was mentioning Miyako and Sukasa because they're the well, same. Well, I'd be embarrassed too if Miyako Matsuboto got to a goal line before I did. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't we all? I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Shida's transformation both in ring and physically, the confidence is you can tell she absolutely cared. And it showed in this match. This was a. I wouldn't say it's the best match in the world. It's a, it's a two it's a two star uh, three star recommendation two out of three star recommendation. Okay, but in terms of drama and the story being told, I thought that it's it's five stars in that category. This was so much fun. The crowd was so behind Sheeta to beat the big veteran Tamara, the big bruising uh, force that is her, because she is definitely a protected asset on the scene at this time. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And she's sort of honestly she has an affinity for Ice Ribbon. I feel like I remember seeing her somewhere say that she has like a fondness for this company. So her giving Sheeta more than she's probably given most people in Sheeta's position. She just like how cause she hadn't been wrestling that long at this point still. Her doing that I feel like speaks to that, especially also her giving you know, the ace crusher to Tsukasa before when she retires. And she definitely has an affinity for Ice Ribbon. I think I remember seeing her say something uh, similar to that. So I'm glad you brought up the retirement part for Tamara. She retires a couple days, a few days after this event on the very last Neo show of the year. That was her last match. Now, I won't spoil what happens on that show. Okay. So I'm thinking here, okay, Neo's closing. She probably knows it. <laughs> At least I assume. I'm pretty sure she's well aware. <laughs> she's well aware. And I'm thinking, maybe Sheeta wins. And I bought into it, because I'm like, okay. But then it's the old guard story. Would, what, so there, there is a difference in the old guard story and when to, you know, pull the trigger. And I gotta say, I think in this case, it's the exception to the, to the rule we talk about 
I don't think Sheeta should have won this match because it was about, no. all about her journey of getting better because she was actively bad when we started 2010. And this, I, no, her I just with that, putting no. up the fight that she did was was the story. She didn't have to win. And I don't think she should have won. Oh, I agree. I don't think she should have won either. I think at this point in her story, if you put her over like that, it'd be too much of a of a big jump in the journey because she doesn't get her journey doesn't start kicking off even more until the next year, right? Because I don't believe she wins. I think she wins the belt in two thousand eleven. Could be wrong. Well, don't spoil it. So, yeah, when the the key is when you know the per when you know the wrestler is ready to hit that next stage in their career, hit that next level, when they're good enough to be at that level, that's when you put them over. And Sheeta wasn't there yet. That's why this is kind of the exception to that rule, as opposed to many of the other times when you're just seeing you're just seeing the guard keep the man down, right? I like Nanai Momo. That was very much not doing a favor for anybody. Right, it accomplished nothing. So, this accomplished uh, so much. In the loss, Tamara. So when Tamara loses, if she does, even that's when it's a bigger deal. Right. No, I agree there. So I have a fun fact for you that uh, I just remember looking at the name of the Ice Cross Sixty Belt. Something Yappy had shared with everybody on her stream, whatever Twitch streams that she does over on her Twitch channel. So the name of the Ice Cross Sixty Belt and the weight limit. Want to know uh, who came up with that belt and why there's a weight limit? Makoto came up with the belt. He even designed the original belt, the um, frilly cardboard garbage oh. <laughs> belt that was the original. She designed that belt. Right? There's a weight limit because she didn't want Emi Sakura to compete for it. <laughs> That's why we saw the montage of her match with Riho of her losing weight to compete for the belt. I because see. she couldn't... Because she's... Uh, I think Makoto... Uh, she's Because Yappy said Makoto basically went... Well, she could never go below 80 kilos, so making it 60 would make it impossible for her to even compete for the belt. That's funny. You know, I would love to see Makoto come back to Ice Ribbon. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I would I would really like to see it. There's no bad blood there. I just don't think she wants to work back in Ice Ribbon anymore. Not that I know of there's no bad blood. There okay. could be and just don't know it, but I, I don't get the feeling there's any bad blood there. Nothing that I've at least been able to, to find rumors of, if anything. I'd like, it's I'd weird like to that she hasn't worked to Ice Ribbon. Yeah. I'd to see her back, too, but she hasn't really been doing a whole lot with her career. No, so. she's just hanging out with uh, Venny in, in the seed ring. So, yeah, this match ruled. I absolutely loved it. It's it's great following uh, the progression of a lot of these wrestlers that we now know of. You know, we're seeing the progression of Yoshirai. We're seeing uh, Shida. We're seeing Fujimoto, who's already a champion. <laughs> Twice over. This point, she's like, yeah, this is what she's a two-time champion. <laughs> yeah, you can you can kind of tell who's who's coming up in the scene and in which promotions. You know, start we haven't hit Stardom and TJPW yet. Uh, TJPW is going to be quite the quite the journey when we get there. Neo's coming to a close. We have Amano and Oz Academy. Uh, Sendai and Wave don't have titles, <laughs> so yeah, they don't. <laughs> the only thing in Wave we have to go off is who wins the Catch the Wave tournament each year. So that's kind of a an interesting uh, aspect of the journey there um who am i uh misaki awada ryumi zanami 
Uh, those are two other names that are on the on the come up. They're not they're not quite at the level I think of or a level of interest I think of a lot of the names we've mentioned. Am I missing anybody? Uh, Mio and Eo, Mio and Eo, Shirai. Well, I mentioned Eo. They're, they're, I thought you, but you did mention Mio, her sister. Well, it was also still important. Yeah, I mean her and Kana, sure. How could you forget about the hot, hotter, older sister? How dare you? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen. I think you mentioned. I mean, I guess we could talk about Kana too. I think Kana still at this point. Maybe if she's established in the scene. She's still kind of. She's A tier, but she's like the lower half of the A tier for the most of the scene. They don't see her that way because of the stuff that she says. Right. You now, calling out the old people for being old and bad is not to make any friends for you in a scene pretty much comprised solely of those people. Okay. Well, that does it for this podcast. Again, if you're listening to us on the Big Egg Joshi podcast and you enjoyed what you heard today, get this episode, get these episodes two weeks earlier over at the Red Leaf Retrocast Patreon. It's on the $1.50 tier. If you would like more content, uh, like Kay's JD Star Reviews from 2001, a promotion that uh, inspired a lot of the next generations of the scene, uh, to say the least, that's over on the $5 tier. I will be doing in-time LLPW reviews over on that one. And, uh, Kay, any last parting words? Uh, I mean, just go check the Big A Joshi as well, where I go and cover JWP starting in 1990. That's also quite a important time frame to be covering a promotion. The first big competition for AJW. And that'll do it. We'll see you next time. See ya.